Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7 as Jesus is teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. In These verses will be on the screen, but if you have your Bible and you want to turn there and follow along, you're welcome to do that. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon simply titled, Happy Father's Day. Pray with me. God, thank you for being our Father. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as our Father. God, I pray now that you'd anoint my mouth and my mind, strengthen my body to say things that would bring you honor. God, I pray you'd give us ears to hear what you have to say. God, I thank you for every man in the room, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to reach more men and women and boys and girls for the kingdom of God. And I ask you now to have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Now, if you're not a man, if you're not a dad, uh, if you are a man and a dad, you probably have already figured out Father's Day means basically almost nothing compared to Mother's Day. Is that, do, do women even know that, or is that just something men have to know? <laughs> Father's Day is an afterthought uh, in, in America. Mother's Day gets all the ink. When, when pastors talk about CME Christians, that's Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter, there's no uptick in church attendance on Father's Day. Um, And the sad reality is because most fathers aren't in church. And so I thank God for every man who's in church today. Um, And I I want you to listen, especially everyone in the room. I want you to try to do what I talk about many times. Drown out everything else and receive something today from God. Don't look to receive from the voice of a man. Look with faith, believing that because I'm going to read from the Scripture, that God will say something to you. If you just come to church and leave without hearing from God, you've missed out on the big reason why we come. The Bible tells us when we gather together in His name that we should pay attention to the reading and the teaching of Scripture. And uh, I, I want to start, before I get into the text, with, with men. I want to encourage you to be a good man. There's too many bad men in the world right now. And the world just seems to keep getting worse and worse. But you keep getting better and better. Be, be a good dad if you have children. Be a good husband if you have a wife. Love God. Love your families. Be a man of character. Have Holy Ghost convictions. Live a morally upright life. Model manhood for all the world to see. I, I invite every man here, whether you have been, are now, or never have been, Involved. I want you to get involved in our men's ministry. We're going to be having man up next Sunday night. I want you to get involved. Come get around other Christian men. One of the great things about our man up ministry is we just let it all hang out. And we just put all our dirty laundry out there because the Bible says that the troubles that are in you are in your brethren throughout the world. And we talk on a very real level. And I want every man to get involved in it because churches need not just to have men in them, but to have men there that love the Lord. Men there that put God first. Men there that are willing to be the man that God created them to be. Now, most, if not all experts, would 
would agree that life is better when there is a father and a mother in the home. But life doesn't always turn out that way. My kids were raised without a mother. Their mother died when they were two and four years old. And the statistics are overwhelmingly better for people in a two-parent home. From the poverty rate to the incarceration rate, everything is affected. I'm going to share some statistics with you that I've shared before. But these statistics are just staggering. And I want you to hear these statistics well. Some of you fit into some of these. I fit into many of these statistics. 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of all, all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth sitting in prison come from fatherless homes. Homes. Look at the staggering statistics of what life looks like in America if you see the trend. I don't know, most people don't watch trends and you don't watch demographics, but the rate, the ever-increasing rate of the father being taken out of the home is just staggering. It is mind-numbing, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And listen, if you're in that position yourself, God is still able. Amen? But these are the statistics. So what, what, do, uh, what does this experts tell us this means? Well, it means that children from fatherless homes are 4.6 times more likely to commit suicide. Be on the look for your children if you're in a single-parent home. 6.6 .6 times more likely to become a teenage mother. 24.3 times more likely to run away. 15.3 times more likely to have behavioral disorders. 6.3 times more likely to be in state-operated institutions. 6.6 .6 times more likely to drop out of school. And 15.3 times more likely to end up in prison while a teenager. Fatherless homes is the pandemic. Fatherless homes is the, the curse and the scourge of this country, the government continues to push for fatherless homes. Fatherless homes was not what it is until the, the uh, Welfare Reform Act of 1964. In 1960, the census in 1960 showed that African Americans had 75% of their children were being raised in two-parent families. 75% being raised in two-parent families. This is, this is when there was a black Wall Street. This is when uh, there, there was a large investment in African-American small businesses in the country. But when the Welfare Reform Act came in and the government enticed women to marry the state and not the man, to keep the check and not the man inside the home, this thing started spiraling out. To now, it's flipped on its head, where, where then 75% of all African-American kids were being raised by their mother and their father. Now, 74% are being raised in a single mother home. Same things happened to, to white families. In 1960, it was 8% of the kids were being raised in a single-parent home. Now, it's over 25%. So both those have tripled. They've done the same thing. One didn't get worse than the other. One started off, they started off unequal, as this country has been. But the progression... Three times more, red, yellow, black, white, three times more percentage-wise of the children in this country are being raised in single-family homes. Do you know that the poverty rate in two-parent homes is almost less than 4% across the board regardless of race? Two-parent, two-parent, African-Americans with two-parent family homes, they, they are less likely to experience poverty than any other group of single-parent homes. There is a great benefit in doing things the way God designed to do things. And there's a great detriment. Now, some of this stuff is beyond our control, but I want you to know that fathers are important. Can we agree with that? Uh, I'm going to read this list to you. of uh, This is the who's who of fatherless homes. Saddam Hussein, Jack the Ripper, Jeffrey Dahmer, Sirhan Sirhan, Lee Harvey Oswald, Charles Manson, Adolf Hitler, John Wilkes Booth, and 
Um, I throw a recent one in uh, Dylan Roof. If you look at the mental disorders that come uh, from fatherless homes, uh, you, you realize God designed families to have a mother and father living in the home. But like I said, for many of us, it didn't turn out that way. And I always, when I'm going to share those statistics, I'm always concerned about the single mother seeing these facts and, and, and figures for her children. Listen, if you got God in your house, they have a father in the home. Amen? And you make sure that you keep that first and foremost. See, I was raised never really knowing my father. I, I have such limited memories of my dad. He was so uh, not in my life. My parents got divorced when I was young. I was raised primarily by a single mother who worked outside the home. And I found myself on the wrong part of most of these statistics or, or many of these statistics that I just shared with you. I ran away from home. I had behavioral disorders. I had emotional disorders. I was in and out of jail. It was only by God's grace that I didn't drop out of high school. Back then, I, and it's the same way now, I don't think they're strict with it, but back then, if you missed 10 days in one nine weeks, it didn't matter what your grade was. They failed you for that. They, anybody remember that? I think they still have some variant of that now. My third nine weeks, school's always been on nine weeks, five days a week, 45 days. My third nine weeks, I had 28 unexcused absences. My senior year. That did not go well. All six of those classes returned with, back then it was an E. I don't know how they did E. I guess they didn't want to skip E and call it F. But it was a large con contributing factor. No man in the home. And I find myself, uh, I mean, it literally was by God's grace that I didn't drop out of high school didn't stay in jail, didn't fall into some of these categories that, that, I, that I stayed out of. But whether you've ever been in any of that, whether you're in some of that now, whether your family is shaped like that, can we agree that our God is a saving God, a life-changing God, a delivering God, a helping God, a healing God? Amen. I've experienced the difficulties of not having a father in the home, but I've also experienced the joy that comes from having God in my life. When I first started going to Bible college, it was Luther Rice Bible College. It's headquartered now in Atlanta. It was in Jacksonville, headquartered at the time. And I had a professor who told everybody that if you didn't have a good role model as a father, you probably will struggle in your entire Christian experience to grasp the fatherhood of God. And he made a big case for why you know, people who have a good dad realize what a good dad's supposed to look like, and people who don't have a good dad uh, miss out on realizing how good God is. And I said, well, I'm just different. Uh, and and I, I believed this then, and I believe it now. I believe it was because I didn't have a good dad. When I got saved on July 15, 1981, and I realized that the creator of the entire world was my father, and I could call him daddy, I only have one person in my life to, to look at as a great dad, and that's Jehovah, king of all the earth, and I don't think missing out hurt me any. Because God saved me, and I had a father in my life. So if you're here, and maybe you're in a single-parent family, uh, may, maybe you're that mother with single kids, make sure that God is the center of your home, and God will be a better father than any human father could ever be. Let's look at our text this morning as we consider how good God is. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mountain, and it's an incredible passage in Scripture. You need to read it. Listen to verse 7 again. Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Now, I've told you before regarding this verse. When I first read this, I read in the King James Version, and it said, Ask, and ye shall receive. And that used to make me scratch my head, because I knew I'd asked for stuff that I hadn't received. But I knew God's word was right, and my understanding must have been weak. And when this newer translation came along, I thought, oh, okay, 
There, there, there's, there's a prerequisite here. It's not just ask and you shall receive. It's keep on asking. So I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else, keep on asking. Say it with me. Keep on asking. You got to keep on asking for it to be given to you. See that verbiage. I love how exact the, the Bible is. And the word says keep on asking. Keep on looking. Keep on knocking. If I had the time to go around the room right now and ask everybody, what is it that you're asking God for that hasn't happened yet? Don't say it out loud, but think in your mind. I hope there's something that you're asking God for that hasn't happened yet. I hope you're asking him to do something for somebody, to bless you in some kind of way, to guide you in some kind of way. Here is the great news for you today. If you just keep on asking, if you just keep on looking, if you just keep on knocking, it's going to happen for you. Verse 8 in Matthew 7 says, For everyone who asks receives, period. I always tell you, pay attention to the punctuation. It will perfect your understanding. For everyone who asks receives. It doesn't say for everyone who asked. Did you get that? It's everyone who asks. This is a present tense continual verb this isn't well i asked god for that and and i didn't get it no there is a present tense continuum that is mandated in this teaching and it's the person who asks that receives everyone who seeks is still present tense continually finds and the door is open to everyone who knocks there's some things that you might have asked god for in the past but you didn't get it, so you got tired of it, and you gave up asking for it. Start asking for it again. Start looking for it again. Start knocking on that door again. Now, let's look at the part of the text that deals with parenting and more specifically fathering. In verse 9, Jesus said, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Now, when I read that, I think some probably do. <laughs> Just some whack people. I have two memories of my dad as a child, just two. Um, I don't ever remember seeing him sitting down uh, in, in my house. I don't ever remember seeing him eating anything in, in the same house I lived in. I just have two memories of him. He was out of my life early. But one of them was in the kitchen. And I even knew back then as a little kid, I don't really know this man. My dad was out to sea a lot. He was a, he was a deep sea diver uh, swimming on the bottom of ocean floors with a screw-on mask and the hose that went up to the ship. So he was, out, he was gone a lot. But he was in the kitchen one time, and he was stirring something in a pan. And I thought, well, let me try to talk to this stranger in my house. And so I said, what you cooking? Uh, he turned around. And he held up a spoon. He said, tomato soup. Try it. It's good. Well, I don't like tomato soup. But I figured, you know, here I am. So I'll do it. As soon as he put it in my mouth, he started laughing, bent over, hands on his knees laughing, because he knew what was about to happen. It wasn't tomato soup. It was Tabasco sauce. <laughs> he was cooking tomato soup, but he had just filled a spoon up to put some hot sauce in it. And he put that whole spoon of hot sauce in my four-year-old mouth. Um, so when I read this, I'm like, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, would you give them a stone? I don't know, but some dads will give you Tabasco sauce when you ask for tomato soup. But it goes along with Jesus' teaching. Human parents are not perfect. Can you say amen? He said in verse 10, or if they ask for a fish... Do you give them a snake? Of course not. These are rhetorical questions. The answer is implied. Most normal parents uh, want to give good things to their kids, right? Most normal parents, if, if they have it to give, they want to give it. Verse 11 is the poignant part where Jesus said, If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? So, the meaning is clear. We, we human beings, we, we've got faults and flaws and issues, but we still know how to give good things to our kids, most of us. How, how much more will a perfect, loving God 
give good things to his kids who simply ask. I want you to leave here today and start asking God for more. I want you to start, not, not so you can have more, but so that you can give more. Not, not so that you can be blessed just to be blessed, but so that you can be a blessing to somebody else. The, the same God who said this, that the Father wants to give good things to those who ask, said that it is the Father's pleasure to give you everything. It also said you have not because you ask not. I want you to be a big-time asker. Ask God. Be ready to hear no. But why not ask? There's lots of things that God can do for you. Some people aren't even asking. I want to I uncover today three good things that God wants to give his children. But before we get to that, I need to answer two questions first. Number one, who are God's kids? And secondly, how do I become one of God's kids? Because too many people are under the false understanding that all human beings are God's children. I hear this on television. I hear news reporters say this. I hear pastors say this. Well, we're, we're all the children of God. We're all, uh, all, all, all people are God's children. That's not true. That, that, that's new age philosophy. That's not Christianity. Christianity does not believe that we are all God's children. Listen to what the Bible says in John 8, 42. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. So when Jesus says, if God was your father, he's implying plainly that he wasn't. But he doesn't let them think about it too long. Two verses later in John 8, 44, he said, for you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. Ouch. So here's the reality. In all of Scripture, it does not give us any other option for a father or a child in the supernatural. It's either God or the devil. So everybody in this room right now is either a child of God or a child of the devil. You don't have to wonder why your children are so off the frame, why your spouse is so off the frame, or why you're so off the frame. Jesus plainly said that unsaved people are children of the devil and they love to do the evil things that he does. Good news is you don't have to stay that way. In verse 47 of the same chapter, John 8, Jesus said, Anyone whose father is God listens gladly to the words of God. Since you don't, it proves you aren't God's children. Some people come to church because they want to hear the word. Some people come to church because they gladly listen to the words of God. But look what Jesus said. If you don't gladly listen to the words of God, it proves you're not God's children. Somebody who's always clock watching, time checking, ought to say, ouch. But the meaning is clear. Everyone is not a child of God. If you enjoy doing evil more than you enjoy following God, you're not a child of God. If you don't love Jesus, you're not a child of God. If you don't gladly listen to the word of God, then you're not a child of God. You need to figure it out. Are you or are you not? Is you or ain't you? There are churches all around the country today playing church. There are people in here playing church. I don't want to play church. I want you to be real and to be honest about where you are. Are you saved or are you not? Is God your father or is he not? You need to make that determination. You need to get that figured out. Nothing else matters as much as that eternal question, who is your father? So, I told you two questions. Who are God's kids? And uh, it was the first one. We've just seen who God's kids are. They're, they're, they're the people that, that, that love Jesus. They're the people that gladly listen to the word of God. Uh, but let's see how we become God's children. In John chapter 1, the Bible tells us in verse 10, But although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. It's talking about Jesus coming to the earth. Verse 11 says, Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. 
But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. This is born again, new birth. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. Verse 14 says, So the Word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. Now, put verse 12 on the screen again for me. And, and let's really see this and see where you are inside this. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. For you to be reborn. For you to be saved, for you to be a child of God, you have to become that. No one started that way except Jesus. No one, that's why he's the only begotten son of the Father. He was that way from birth. No one else was. When I talk to people, if you talk to people about their faith and you ask them how long they've been a Christian, if they say, well, I've always been a Christian. You know right off the bat they do not understand biblical salvation. They do not understand uh, what the Bible teaches because the Bible says you have to become a child of God. Now, if I went around this church, if I started with Deacon West, worked all the way back around to the other side and asked you, when did you become a child of God? Some of you may not have a good answer. And everybody's not going to know the exact day uh, and, and, and the exact time. I know because I wrote it down. I know because I was surrounded by a group of amazing Christians. Wasn't nothing like the 80s, was it, Connie? It was just incredible. Connie was part of that young group of Christians, and uh, it was fantastic Bible teaching, and we were so fired up and sold out. We didn't get together and just go to restaurants and see evil movies. We got together, and we talked about the Lord. We sang songs with each other, and we, we quoted memory verses with each other, but I was blessed to be around a, a group that, that had me write that date down, July 15, 1981, at about 4 o'clock in the morning. God changed my life forever, and I became something different than what I was before, and I hope this has happened to you, because if it hasn't happened to you, then you still are on the wrong side of salvation. Now, let's, let's talk about these things. I told you I wanted to show you three good things that God wants to give his kids. We live in a society where gift giving um, on holidays is a big deal. And that's cool if that's your tradition. That's not, that's not my tradition. Um, my kids don't, don't get stuff for me for Father's Day because I don't ask them to. Birthdays, Christmas, none of that. It's just, it's just not how we do it. We kind of love on each other every day and give each, to each other as much as we can. I don't know if you saw Robert Cantrell's post. <sighs> but you remember Rob. Dev said, one of our classmates, he's actually the president of your class, your senior class, uh, one year ahead of me. So now y'all know who's older. <laughs> and wiser. His mother is in, in the final days, um, according to the doctors. And he had a moment that he shared with his Facebook audience. Now, so this guy, I'm, I'm 57, about to be 58. Um, so he's, he's, he's 59 or 60, somewhere in that age frame. And he said it was the first time in his life. He said, it, they'd, always, he said they'd always had a great relationship. They'd always been close. Um, he, he, they'd always had a bond. But she had never said the words to him, I love you. And for the first time ever, she spoke those words, I love you. And he was able to speak them back. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a big moment for him. And I thought, wow. I was happy for him, and I told him that. Happy for him that he, he was able to experience that with his mother. But I immediately thought about us, uh, people that come here. They call this their church. Don't let that be your testimony. Don't let that be your testimony. I know people got to look at, at, at me, um, it, it, it's just like, I mean, Deacon West came up here uh, while, while everybody was shaking hands, looked me in my face, told me he loves me. When me and Elder Jimmy are on the phone, he's in front of a bunch of roughneck construction guys out there sweating in the Florida sun, and he, he's like, I love you too. And I'm like, we're two men telling each other we love each other on the phone. What, what kind of message are we sending? 
We're sending a message that there's brotherly love inside the body of Christ. I probably, I mean, if, if I had to count, don't, don't count on me, Seth, but if I, if I had to start counting the number of times, it, it's almost to the point where if, if I get up to go to my room to use the bathroom, um, uh, we'll say, I love, uh, uh, he'll say, I love you, Dad, I, I love you too. We probably say I love you to each other 15 times a day. Don't be on the wrong side of telling your family that you love them. My mom has taught me uh, that there, there's God that has taught me the most about how to, how to be a Christian, and then there's my mom who's taught me the most about life. And my mom has taught me so many great lessons. And I, I, it's, it's like my kids can hear my voice in their head and, and know what I would tell them if I was there. I'm blessed. To, to have a mother full of wisdom that I can hear her in my head telling me stuff. And I, I'm going to give you a momism right now. And if you've been at Abundant Life for any length of time, you've heard a lot of these momisms. I'm going to give you one of the great momisms of all time. My mom told me to send me my flowers while I'm living. Isn't that good? Now, I don't really send her flowers. That's a metaphor. Well, maybe she's wanting flowers. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, the truth of it, the teaching, love the ones you got while you got them. It is heartbreaking. I have been involved in so many funerals. I have dealt with so much grief counseling for people who even the funeral we just had here, the memorial celebration service we just had here this month, one of the children talked about how estranged that she had been from her dad. And I have dealt with, now, now fortunately, she got to make that up, and she got to have a good conversation um, with her dad uh, before the final end. But I have dealt with so many people who have told me in weeping at funeral services, our last conversation didn't go great. Don't, 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 don't do that. Listen, don't be that kind of Christian. If you're going to be a Christian, be a real Christian. Love people. The Bible commands us to love God and to love people. If you've got anybody in your life right now that you're strained with, be the better person and tell them that you love them. Don't hold grudges. Now listen, some folk make it hard. Can we just be, can we be honest for a minute? I don't know about y'all, but some, I mean, how, how many times can you try to tell somebody you forgive them? How many times can you try, try to reach out and, and, and mend a broken fence? Some people make that hard, but if you've done your part, leave the rest of it up to God. But please, please, listen, listen, listen to the wisdom from my mama, because uh, when they're dead, you're going to wish you'd been nicer to them. And you're going to send big old giant, you, you're going to spend more money on a big old giant spray, isn't that what they call it? A spray of flowers, one of them big stand-up tripod things full of flowers. I wish that, especially the moms, I, I wish that the moms could just sit up out of that coffin and just look at them and say, you spent $140 on flowers. You never spent $140 on me in your life combined total. Am I right or wrong? Love them while you got them. Listen, spouses, love them while you got them. So I'm, I'm, I'm living proof. The only thing that lasts forever is eternity and the Word of God. You, you, better, hey, you could be mad at them, sure. Just, just realize, they, you know, they got issues. But here's the good news. If they didn't have issues, they wouldn't have picked you. They'd have did better than you. They'd have did way better than you. If they wouldn't have nuts, they wouldn't even talk to you. So don't begrudge them for being off. Love them while you got them, because five people say amen. amen. But you got to become a child of God. When, when did that happen to you? If, if it happened to you, you might not know the day, you might not know the hour, but you know something about it. You know it was, you know, sometime in the 80s, sometime in the 90s. You, 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 you might not remember it was a Tuesday night in revival. Maybe you forgot that was revival week and you thought it was midweek Bible study on Wednesday. It, I, but you know something surrounding it. 
And I know that you have to know something about it because if, if it happened to you, you would remember it. I mean, if I just came down right now and snatched the glasses off Elaine. Good to see y'all in church, by the way. Hallelujah. If I just came and snatched the glasses off her, um, she might not remember 15, 20, 40 years from now that it was on Father's Day. She might not remember it was in June. She might not remember it was raining outside. She might not remember what I was wearing, but she would remember there was a day in her life where somebody came and pulled glasses off her face in front of everybody. Y'all think she'd remember that? Yeah, but if it happened to you, you remember something about it. And I hope you remember something about when you became a child of God. So once you become that child of God, the Bible says that you believe in Jesus, that you accept him into your life as your Lord, your master, your, your controller. Some people are control freaks. You, you got to let that go and you got to let God have his way in your life. But if you've made that transition from I once was lost, but now I'm found. If you've changed from being what you were to becoming who God wants you to be, I want to share with you the three things that God wants to give you. Because Father's Day, I don't know. I mean, I hear lots of jokes about dads getting ugly ties and ugly sweaters and uh, whatever. Um, but I am certain that the majority of men who are real men would rather be on the giving end than on the receiving end. I just pick on Deacon West. I know you well enough to know that you, you'd rather be able to do something good for your son than for him to give you a tie or a sweater. I mean, that, that's the heart of a real father. That's the heart of a real man who understands what it is to be a man and to be a father. And, and God models the best for us. So let, let's talk about uh, these three things that our heavenly father wants to give his kids. Now, before we do that, say father. I want you to get and understand that God could have chosen to reveal himself to us in any capacity. And he used several different ways in Scripture to show us who he is. He, he used a king and subjects or servants. He used slave owner and slave. He used master and, and follower. He used teacher and student. He used a lot of different analogies to get us to be able to grasp a little peak because he's too big to grasp altogether, but to get let us have a glimpse of how he relates to us and how we relate to him. But more than any of those things, he chose to reveal himself to us as our father. And if you can ever get a hold of the fact that God is your father, it can change everything about your life. Because if you do what the Bible says and you come to him with that childlike faith, that, see that childlike faith says my daddy can beat your daddy up. My, 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 kid, my kids still believe that. And I'm like, well, I probably could, but let's don't try it today. My neck's hurting. <laughs> today might not be the day for me to jump on that crowd of people. Um, go ahead, Dad, get them. I would if my back wasn't. That childlike faith thinks that their daddy can outlift the world's strongest man. Thinks that their daddy can, can do anything. And if you ever realize that God is your heavenly father, you're going, to real, you, you're going to come into an understanding of you're going to be all right. Because your daddy ain't going to let you fall through the cracks. He has you. The Bible says he goes before us and behind us. He, 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 is, he, he fights ahead of us and he's our rear guard. God has got his children covered. And I want you to get that, that you have a heavenly father that loves you. Here's the three good things he wants to give you. In Romans 14, 17, listen to this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, at Rome, they were having some issues about should Christians eat this? Should Christians drink that? We're still caught up with these dumb questions. Should Christians drink this? Should Christians watch that? Should Christians listen to this? Should Christians go to that? Uh, I remember a question and answer service of visiting pastor came and was uh, doing a conference at our church and the question came up should Christians listen to secular music and he laughed and he said I get that question everywhere I go 
And I want to tell you the same thing I tell everyone, and I hope it'll make sense to you. We're asking the wrong question. We're asking the wrong question. It's not, can a Christian do this and still be a Christian? Once you're saved, God said salvation is eternal. He, he said, what, what, what you're asking me is how close to the line of disappointing God can I, can I hang on without falling off a cliff? How, how close to sin can I gravitate toward without being all the way a sinner? He said, Here, here's the better concept. If you're only going to listen to music for however long, five minutes a day or five hours a day, wouldn't it be better to listen to the music that was going to bend your heart toward God? But we're still asking all the wrong questions. They were asking the wrong questions back then. Can Christians eat this type of meat? Can Christians drink this type of drink? And God lets them know it's not about that. It's, it's, you're looking at it in the wrong way. You're asking all the wrong questions. The kingdom of God, it's, it's not just from what you eat and what you drink. But here's what the kingdom of God is. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I'm here to tell you. If you have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, you don't even need money in your bank. You don't need people in your back pocket. You, you, don't, you don't need to worry about anything in life. If you have true righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let's think about it. Number one, righteousness. Here's what righteousness means in this context. The power to live right. Now, when you study the book of Romans, you'll find out that the, the Apostle Paul talks about lost people are, uh, they're bound, they're chained, they're in slavery to sin. It's like their base nature. They just always have to obey it. You can't overcome it. I'm going to tell you something. If you haven't realized it's easier to overcome sin as a Christian than a lost person, you haven't made the jump. But the, the, the power to live right, when you get saved, God gives you the power to live right. He gives, you the, he gives you the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you so you can make the right choice. If you read your Bible every day, you shouldn't pat yourself on the back and think you're better than anybody else. You should give God thanks for giving you the discipline to read your Bible every day. Because the righteousness comes from God. Righteousness or right standing uh, is something that God declares over you. It's not something you work into. The Bible says that God made Jesus to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Jesus. The King James says it this way, for he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the age-old question that Bible teachers ask the church is, are you as righteous as Jesus? Give them the, give them the answer, Dina. Yes. Are you as righteous as Jesus? The answer is yes. Because we're not talking about our righteousness. We're talking about the righteousness that was given to us by the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. Now, if you think that you're not righteous, you're looking at your works and you're not looking at the work of Calvary. And we're not saved. The Bible says, by keeping of the law shall no flesh be justified. You cannot be made right with God by good works. You can't do enough to, to get enough brownie points in heaven to be saved. Because when Jesus died and you accepted his death as payment for your sin, God put a stamp of righteousness on you that says, you're right with me. Oh, that's better news than y'all are staring at me. Not only righteousness, but the verse said, peace. Say peace. Oh, man, this peace, it's, it's the power to be at peace with yourself first and then others secondly. Now, there are people who just stir the pot everywhere they go. They just, I mean, they're mad at life. One of the greatest movies in the whole world, and it's the first time I knew I was going to marry Gail, is on our second date. And no, it was on our first date, and because we went to a movie, and I asked her what her favorite movie was, and when she gave me the answer, I knew I got to marry this chick. Because this ain't no chick movie. But it is the movie with the greatest one liners, more one liners in this movie than any movie on the planet. 
tombstone. And I, she said tombstone. I'm like, I'm done. I was already done when I looked at her, but now I'm real done. Um, just so y'all know how, how, how done I was on, we went on our first date on June the 1st. On June 8th, we said that we loved each other in each, other each other's face. I don't recommend that to most people. Then, in the middle of June, I asked her parents if I could marry her. I hadn't been going out with her for a month, but I'd known them my whole life. And they said, man, we've been waiting on somebody to do it. <laughs> and they said, uh, the, only rule, the only rule is if you, if, you, if, you, if you take her, you can't ever send her back. You got to keep her forever. I said, I would do that. And on July 1st, I showed up at her office uh, with a ring, got on my knees, and I asked her to marry her on her break um, in, in her, at, her, at her job. And her mom wanted, you know, a long time to prepare a wedding, so we gave her uh, until November 11th. And that's the day we got married. So July, August, September, October, November. Uh, five months uh, from first date. I don't recommend that. What did I tell you how long to go? Richard, you remember how long I said somebody should date? All four seasons. See how they act in the summer. See how they act around holiday time. See, see how they act, you know, when, when it gets cold outside. Uh, you you, you want to you watch that. But Tombstone, she had me done with Tombstone. And at the end of Tombstone, Doc Holliday's dying. Wyatt Earp's about to go get shot dead by Johnny Ringo. And Doc Holliday was a scoundrel little dude. He was, he, he, was, he, was a, he, he was a really bad person, to, just like Wyatt Earp, so he was helping Wyatt Earp. Um, and Wyatt Earp asked him, he said, Doc, what makes a man like Ringo? And Doc Holliday said he's got a big hole in his heart. He's mad. And and why I said, what's he what what what's what's he mad at? What's he he wants revenge for what? He said he wants revenge. He said he wants revenge for what? He said for being born. And there are just people like that in the world. All their whole life they've just been mad. They they've just stirred the pot. Let me tell you something about people that stir the pot. Stirring poop only guarantees one thing. It's just gonna make it stink worse. And it might get on you. Don't be that one that stirs the pot. Have peace in your life. Peace starts with yourself. You got to learn how to love you. Be okay with who you are. Understand that God accepts you, warts and all. Stop letting people tell you. See, we, we flipped the script on them now. We flipped the script on them with, with critical race theory, uh, with white fragility, with uh, corporations. Uh, Coca-Cola put out eight ways white people can be less white. We, we've got schools now. The, the schools in New York are no longer um, allowing advanced math classes until the, their junior year, uh, until their senior year, because they said that math is intrinsically racist because math tells these kids that there's only one right answer, and if you don't get it, then you're wrong. And they said, so that's, that, that's, they said, that's why white kids do better. I mean, we flipped the whole script. We, 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 there was a time in this country where African-American children were being told that they weren't nothing and couldn't do nothing and wouldn't be nothing. And now with white fragility and critical race theory, white kids are being told you're just evil from birth because you got white skin. But with all this attack on children, with all this attack, here's the reality. If you've got low self-esteem, it probably goes all the way back to your childhood. And nobody's exempt from it. Red, yellow, black, or white. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated. If somebody positioned you to think that there was something wrong with you, then that's going to stick with you until God takes it. Man, I, I was told a bunch of stuff I can't even repeat in, in the house of God uh, uh, about how stupid I was as a child. Um, and 
just verbally attack in many different ways. And these things, they set up blocks and barriers from us having self-love and self-peace. Now, I'm not talking about narcissism. I'm not talking about having an overinflated view of who you are. But you ought to have peace with who you are. If you understand that God loves you, that should be enough for you. But peace is the power that God gives you to be at peace with yourself and with others. You know, there's just some people, they just cause a ruckus everywhere they go. Just, just cause a stir. Uh, we see it in the church world. And as soon as people come, new people come to the church. And as I'm getting to know them uh, little by little, because I'm not going to show up at your house. I'm just not. Uh, uh, unless, you, unless you ask me to come, I'm not going to show up. Somebody visits our church, uh, Pastor Scott don't go to their house and harass them. Uh, I used to do that every Monday night for decades, and I, I finally realized I was telling Marshall Thompson one, uh, one Monday night in visitation because we had these cards at our church which show up, and they'd send us out two by two, and they'd give us cards of the visitors, and if the visitor hadn't been contacted yet, you had to keep going back. And I looked at this one thing, and it was like, I saw the two people visited on March 1st. Uh, no one answered the door. On March 8th, two other people visited them. No answer. On March 15th, two other people visited them. No one came to the door. On March 22nd, no, two other people went to go see them. No answer. And, and I said, are we really going to go out, back out to this place again? And I realized before the statisticians, statisticians even publicized it to the church world, folk don't want you showing up at their house unannounced. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to show up at your house unannounced. If you need me, call me. We'll set up a time. But as I get to know people, little by little, as they come into the church and they incorporate in, in their life into what we're doing and us into what they're doing, when I hear people say, well, you know, we had to leave the last church. And they put that look on their face about their last church. I'm like, I almost got excited we had new people in the church. And then I, then I worked my magic on them. I'm like, you sure you can't seek reconciliation at your former church? Wouldn't God be honored by that if you just went back and y'all just loved on each other and made it right? Because here's what I know about people who come here with that. And I had to leave my last church. My last pastor wasn't worthy to teach me. I'm like, well, he's probably better than me. Maybe, I don't know. But when you leave bad, you come in bad. And some people just create drama. You ever known somebody? Just create drama everywhere they go. They are not happy with their own life. Let me tell you what God wants to give you, whether you're a drama creator, a drama hider, or somewhere in the middle, God wants, you to, give, wants to give you real peace so that you can be okay with you, because when you're okay with you, you can accept stuff from other people. You can, you can do what wise people have been telling unwise people for thousands of years. Somebody says a whole bunch of junk to you, here's what wise people say, well, consider the source. You know what that means? They're stupid and ignorant. Don't let them bother you. <laughs> they, don't have, they don't have good sense anyhow. Some people just can't seem to find this peace. I want to tell you something. The kingdom of God is not just about righteousness. It's also about peace. And God wants to give you peace. The Bible says he's the prince of peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it to you. I give you a peace that is eternal and real. And God wants to give you peace. Oh, you ought to turn Father's Day on his head today and, and let the Father give you something good because it'll make him happy if you can have peace. The third thing is joy. Say joy. Man, I tell you, the world needs these things. We need, we need to live right. We need peace. And we need joy. If you really want to see how bad life is, watch the news. Mothers leaving babies in dumpsters. All, all, the, all, the, all the trends going down, morality going down, teenage suicide going the wrong way, witchcraft advancing, Christian church attendance declining. Uh, if, if you look at just what the world wants to shove in your face, no matter which news channel you watch, one, one's going to paint half the world bad and the other one's going to paint the other half bad. 
and that will take away your joy. But if you really lock into God and you let him give you joy, listen, this is the power to have joy in the midst of a crazy world. Everything God wants to give you, the world, the, the world wants to take from you. More specifically, your enemy, the devil, wants to take from you. Jesus said that he only comes for these reasons, to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your righteousness. He wants to kill your peace. He wants to destroy your joy. God wants to give you righteousness, peace, and joy. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy because God's a creator and the devil is an imitator. And what God wants to use to bless you, the devil wants to take from you to destroy your life. And most people don't have joy. Most people don't have joy. Uh, we used to sing that, that song uh, about this verse. I've got peace, love, and joy like a river. I've got peace, love, and joy like a river. I've got peace, love, and joy like a river in my soul. And some did and some didn't. But at least we knew we were supposed to. So if I put you on a three-question test, do you have righteousness? Do you have peace? Do you have joy? How would you do on that test? Most people don't have any of that. And I'm talking about saved people. Now, how sad must it be to our Heavenly Father who has an unlimited supply of righteousness to give you, but you won't live right. An unlimited supply of peace to give you, but you're stressed out, frustrated. I'm telling you, the attack of the devil on this generation is in the mind. Anxiety, nervousness, fear, more phobias than ever I, I i can't wait till they come out i mean they now now the one that common sense says is arachnophobia anybody know what arachnophobia is you ought to be arachnophobic things are evil on their face man they, they ain't come for no good reason that's i don't even know what snakeophobia is what is it dina what is it Okay, what he said. You ought to have that too. I can't wait till they come out with phobophobia. The, there's a what? A fear of losing your phone. And these are things that people really struggle with. That, that reminds me, I, I read when, when Jake was getting ready to go in the Marine Corps, I read what, what people were saying recent, uh, over the last 12 months, they interviewed uh, about 3,000 Marines that had come through boot camp, and they said, what was the hardest part about 13 weeks of Marine Corps boot camp? And they said, not having my phone. And I'm thinking, they need to make boot camp harder. But then when I look at how much I got my phone in my hand, I thought, yeah, that would be a life changer. So I'm sure there is a, a, a phonophobia, but, but they're eventually going to come out with phobic phobia where everybody's just scared of being scared. I, I'm, I'm scared of being scared. I don't know what's going to happen next. Listen, the devil wants to take your peace, and he wants to take your joy. But I come to tell you that God can give you joy. He wants to give you joy. He, if, if you've ever been nice enough to give somebody something, you ought to understand God's nicer than we are. And he wants to give his children good gifts. He wants to give us righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, today, there'll be people who give something to their dad, some that don't. Uh, but, but as a dad, I can tell you firsthand, every good father wants to give good things to his kids. Want to give good things to their kids. God is a good father, and he wants to bless his children with righteousness, peace, and joy. I wonder how, how you're doing. How, how righteous have you been living lately? God will give you power to be more righteous than you've been. But you got to want it. you got to keep on asking for it. you got to ask God to help you do better. See, people want to make you think that the Christian life is really, really difficult. But it's not. If you take it in baby steps. If you just do a little bit more today than you did yesterday. If you do a little bit more of the right thing and a little bit less of the wrong thing, 
that all adds up. Those little, little things, those little steps, they add up to a big step. But you got to start deciding. I, w- I want to be more righteous. How much peace? If you just had to measure on a scale of 1 to 10, how much peace do you have in your life? Most people would fail that. It's not God's fault. God wants to give you peace. He can steady your mind. And he can give you peace in the middle of a storm. One verse says it's peace that surpasses all understanding. That's peace that other people scratch their head at. Like, how does she hold it together? Man, I tell you, one of, one, of the per, one of the people who have more peace in their life, more joy in their life than anybody I've ever met is Gail's mom. And that's why Gail had it. Because her mom taught her to be that way. In, 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 in the last couple of years, Gail's mom lost her second daughter and only other daughter. Gail died 15 years ago. She lost her firstborn child then. Then three years ago, she lost her only other daughter to cancer. Then the next year, she lost her mother. And then this past week, she lost her brother that was closest in age to her. And I'm like, man, I'm 15 years in. And I ain't ain't got over losing Gail. And I've talked to her many times. I'm like... Connie, you just keep, you, man, you just always had me. And she's like, I cry too, Scott. And I, because I tell her, I'm like, I look at pictures of Gail every week and still cry. I, I, Father's Day comes and makes, make, makes, makes me cry because I, I, I know my kids got a father, but they don't have a mother. And, and I, I asked her, and she said, I cry too. But I know that God's going to work it all out. And man, she's got such a peace and a joy in her life. I know it's there. And I'm, I'm, I'm searching for it. I'm asking God for more of it. I'm, 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 I'm committing today to be the one that's asking. I wonder if you'd commit today to be one of the ones that's asking with me. We can all have more righteousness. We can all have more peace. And we can all have more joy. Because God said that's what his kingdom is. But you got to be asking for it. you got to keep asking for it. See, people who think they don't need anything never ask for anything. Do you know we need more righteousness, peace, and joy? I want you to be the one to start asking God for it. But for you to get it from God, you have to be his child. Because the Bible says our heavenly father will give us these things. And he's not your father until you become a child of God. And the Bible says in the third chapter of Colossians that we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus do you believe that Jesus died was buried and rose from the dead so that you could be saved because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you can be saved you don't have to do life on your own you don't have to struggle through every minute of every day of life on your own you can get saved And even if you have gotten saved and God is your father, unless you're giving him the right place in the home, every dad has a chair. Every dad has a side of the bed he sleeps on. Every dad has a cup that he drinks out of. See, dad wants to have his place. And everybody to know, that's dad. Does God have a place in your life? Does does he have a place in your home? Is he honored in your home? See, it's easy to say happy Father's Day. But it takes effort to honor your mother and father. And I'm talking to you today about your heavenly father. Are you saved? If you're not, get saved today. Are you honoring your heavenly father? as the head of your household are you still trying to be the big boss I want us all to surrender to God today because life's better when the father's at home and in his place I want to make sure he has the highest priority in your life 
Then you won't have to ask, is it okay to listen to this kind of music, go to that kind of movie, hang out with these kind of people. You'll be so busy loving on God, those things will just wash away. Have you become a child of God? And if you have, are you happy that he's your father? And are you willing to give him top priority in your home? We need to learn how to put God before everything else. We need to learn how to put God before friends, how to put God before family, how to put God before race, how to put God before culture, how to put God before everything. Because the promise that we have from the God of this book is that if we seek Him first, everything else will fall into place. Let your heavenly Father be the boss of your life and the boss of your home. Because the old TV show said it right. Father definitely knows best. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as our Father when we yield our life to you and when we receive you. God, you said that we, we can become your children. Lord, I pray for each person in this room who is yet to become your child. I pray that you would draw them by your spirit and that you would save them supernaturally. Let them experience rebirth. God, I pray for every Christian in the room, Lord. I pray that you would help us to realize that we have a good, good father that you love us and that you made a way for us and that you showed your love to us at the cross of Calvary. Help us to honor you today, God. I pray that you would help us to honor our biological fathers, but even the more so that we would honor our heavenly father. God, you sent Jesus to the cross for us while we were yet sinning. You showed your love for us. You saved us when you didn't have to and you keep us when we don't deserve it. So, God, I pray you'd help us to be more thankful. Help us to be more grateful. Help us to be more humble. Help us, God, to be more sure that we are your chosen generation. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. I thank you for salvation. God, I pray that you would have your way in my life and in the life of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.